So welcome to Conservation Conversations. I'm Sean O'Brien, the president and CEO of NatureServe. And I'm really pleased uh, this month to have with me Priya Nanjapa, who is the Vice President of Conservation Programs at the National Parks Conservation Association. And we're going to learn more about that organization uh, through this conversation because it's an organization that everybody really should know about uh, if you don't already. Uh, Priya has uh, many years of experience in conservation science and in policy and uh, has been a leader in this field and uh, was the recipient of the Partners in Amphibian and Reptile Conservation Vision Visionary Leader Award. And uh, we'll find out a little bit more about that because Priya is going to talk probably about toads and other uh, reptiles and amphibians in this conversation because I have a toad behind me and she's already, I noticed. <laughs> she's already made note of that. Um, <laughs> And it's actually kind of relevant because uh, I think that has something to do with your story about getting engaged in conservation and then how you're engaging future generations in conservation. So we want to talk about toads and, and other sort of gateways into, into nature. And as part of that, talking about um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and topics like that in the natural world and in nature and science and conservation science. So I'd love to uh, dig in on that a little bit. So. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I'm really pleased to be here. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Um, so yeah, let's 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 start with like, how did you get involved? Is um, who's who's responsible for us having this conversation? Yeah, that's a, such a great question, and I I, I love to answer. Um, there's there's probably two people in particular um, who are my primary influences. So one is my father. Um, uh, I grew up in just suburbia um, in in the Midwest, and um, I my dad just is an animal lover. Um, he probably would have liked to have been a veterinarian or or somehow work with animals. But um, you know, uh, growing up in India, his father told him, you know, you're going to be an engineer, and so that's what he did. Um, and so he, uh, but he really loved animals, and so anytime there was any sort of wildlife outside in the backyard, he'd point them out. Um, as a herpetologist, which is what, you know, my background is in, you know, what I studied in, in grad school, um, I did not, I did not grow up, uh, in the way that a lot of other herpetologists did where they were just out, you know, catching frogs and snakes all the time. I was just kind of more of a general wildlife viewer and, and, um, and birds were, you know, kind of the first, uh, wildlife that I would notice, um, in our backyard, as well as, you know, driving, um, between uh, our place and my uncle's place, which was a couple uh, a couple hours away, and there would be these red-winged blackbirds, um, you know, sitting on the fence posts, and I, I just noticed them. I love red-winged blackbirds. They're one of my mm -hmm. favorite birds because, like, their sound is just so obnoxious, um, and they're just spectacular to see. And they're you can see them in all different places. I just I just love yeah. them. that's just yeah. Like, they're very irrelevant. Cool. Side the way they cover their epaulets um, and yeah. uncover them. That was the thing that. I was like, hey, wait, you know, this one had, I saw the red, but then it went away. And, you know, and that was what kind of sparked my curiosity with them. Yeah. yeah cool. They're they're just great. Um, my dad also was a lover of natural par national parks. And so when he emigrated here to the United States, he um, uh, would take road trips um, in the summer or on breaks with his buddies in, in school and, and they would drive around the country and especially visit national parks. And so um, when my brother and I were old enough, he uh, took us as a family on road trips and we would drive through various national parks. 
Um, we never really got out and hiked or camped. We weren't an outdoorsy family that way. Um, but we stopped at all the scenic viewpoints and looked at things. And if we, there was wildlife to view, you know, from the car, we would do that. Um, so I think that gave me a pre an appreciation of, of those, you know, kind of natural places, those beautiful um, landscapes and, um, you know, uh, and, and national parks in general. And so, you know, as I grew older, um, I became an avid hiker and camper and, and on my own, um, much to the chagrin of my family who was more worried about my safety, I think. Um, <laughs> um, but the other person that was a major influence was one of my best friends in high school. Her dad was a bird watcher. And um, one day she said, you know, my dad found this owl nest. Do you want to come with me with us to go look at it? And I said, sure. And so I went over there and and we went across to this, uh, across her house. Uh, there was this open field um, with some trees and a creek running through. And, and we stopped at this one spot with a big oak tree and there's a big old knot hole in it. And there were some great horned owls that were nesting there. Amazing. And so we yeah. were just waiting for it to come back. Um, mom had gone out feeding probably. And then when she flew back in, um, all the little outlets kind of came forward and you see those little fluffy heads. And, uh, and that was just such an amazing moment for me. Um, and that was the moment that I can really, it's still like so burned in my memory that um, I thought I really want to work with wildlife outside, you know, and, and just be able to, you know, kind of experience this, um, this kind of serenity in the outdoors. Yeah. That's so, so great. And like the, we all have, many of us have these phases in our career where we get to spend all that time outside and then eventually we find ourselves in offices more, which I think oh. you find is the yes. case for you at this point in your life as well as, as for me. Um, so there's a couple of things. You said one thing in there about your family being concerned about your safety when you got interested in being outdoors and hiking and backpacking. And um, so I wanted to just talk about that a little bit. Was that um, safety because you're a woman and a person of color or just a misunderstanding of nature is dangerous kind of a thing? A little bit of both. Um, so my parents, you know, mostly grew up in an urban area in India, but at the time it wasn't as urban as it is now. Um, and that's the city of Bengaluru and in India. Um, but their ancestral family and some of, you know, their extended family um, lived and still lives in this rural area that's right along the Western Ghats, uh, where there are a lot of cobras um, and other, you know, other kinds of, you know, more dangerous um, critters. Um, even the elephants, you know, that would come through the area, you know, can, can be in tigers, you know, among yeah. other things. So um, I think they were nervous for my safety around wildlife. And especially as I started to, you know, become interested in things like frogs and toads and snakes. Um, for us, it was, it was more that and more just as a woman, you know, um, our family was very much, um, I would volunteer to mow the lawn and my dad would say, no, that's your brother's job. You know, you, you go unload the dishwasher. Um, and so, uh, you yeah. know, that was the kind of thing. It was more like a woman shouldn't be out there alone, you yeah. know, in the woods or, you know, possibly camping in a group where there might be men, you know, that, you know, could whatever, um, you know, so it was more about that sort of safety that um, a, a woman's place is not outdoors. So, 
over the past couple of years, I've spent a fair amount of time traveling around the country in a camper van and meeting people in campgrounds, but also following people online, whether on Instagram or on YouTube, who are traveling around in vans and, and visiting parks. And uh, it's quite remarkable, actually, how many of them are women who are doing it solo um, and the things that they think about uh, in terms of their safety and how they do it compared to what I was thinking about, which was quite different. Um, mm -hmm. And it really is, um, it's sort of a tragic, sad situation and statement on society that we have to think about it differently. But I'm thinking now about, um, because you talk a lot about your daughter and your daughter's interest in toads and how you're promoting her outdoor interests. Um, Very much, yeah. That sort of brings me around to thinking about diversity and inclusion in in this outdoor world. And so I wanted to just give you a chance to talk about that and what you see as the challenges and opportunities for engaging a wider range of people in, in the outdoor world and in protecting nature. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, I really appreciate that opportunity to speak to this a little bit. You know, I, I think um, I, I come at it from a different angle than, than a lot of folks in this country in that, you know, my parents emigrated here. Um, there were just certain kind of norms, cultural norms that they were sort of pushing me towards, which is why, you know, there was this sort of tension with my interest in wildlife work and the outdoor work and, and that kind of, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and so, you know, I do see, um, a growth in diversity among, especially, um, Asian Americans, you know, starting to happen, but I think that is more on the cultural side of things and, and, um, you know, sort of that, that perception, uh, to a certain extent that, you know, if you want to have a better life than we did our, our, you know, our, um, uh, grandparents did, you know, you, you don't work outside, you work in an office, you work in a white collar job, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, um, and so there's, there's that sort of element the other element um, in the United States in particular, and, and this is true actually in India and other places as well, um, is, is the impact of, you know, colonialism, um, uh, the lands that we call our public lands, the lands that, you know, I'm advocating for now and promoting. Um, we've done a great job at NPCA of, of really thinking more about um, the people who inhabited those lands um, for millennia before they became national parks. Um, and, you know, so there's that. There are uh, the folks who were brought to this country um, as slaves and, and, you know, forcibly removed from their homelands and, and brought here in different circumstances and um, places what we call our public lands and the outdoors are, you know, for a lot of these folks are places of loss. Um, you know, there, there are places that they lost their history, their culture, their sacred lands, um, or um, they were persecuted. Um, and, you know, the woods were places that people were taken um, for violent acts to be committed. And, and so, um, you know, there's this generational trauma of, of, uh, lack of safety, of concern, of, of what might be around the corner, um, what might be behind that next grove of trees, you know, and, um, you know, for some folks and for other folks, it's just, um, you know, the forcible loss of identity, um, you know, that, that creates these, these challenges. 
And I think, you know, we're making good strides and, and there's a lot of just kind of as the time has passed, you know, students that are coming into the natural resources um, uh, world and, and degrees and, and experiences, you know, there's a lot more efforts of inclusion and equity, even among those groups, um, you know, who bear those identities themselves. And I think that's what's really fantastic is less the movements of, you know, folks trying to bring in the people of color, but rather the people of color themselves reclaiming those spaces and, and their um, opportunities to be there. And, and I think that's, what's um, really exciting and really hopeful, you know, for the future, but there's, there's definitely a lot of work um, that we need to continue to do, especially in the conservation space. Um, And in the wildlife world in particular, I'll say just from my background being, you know, coming up from, from that world, um, it, there's there's a lot of room to grow and to expand and to recognize you know the richness that actually exists right now. Um, I don't know how many times I heard you know there just isn't there just aren't that many people you know that are working in this space or that are interested in this stuff and, and it's just not true. It's just simply not true. We're just not looking hard enough and in the right places. Um, and so yeah, I have a lot of hope. That's great. Hope is hope is what keeps us going in the conservation field, I think, because it's yeah. it can be quite dire with climate change and the sixth extinction. Um, yeah. So I was thinking about in your in your comments there a couple things, which is one is the transition that we've gone through over the past say fifty years from ecology and conservation being heavily dominated by men. I mean, of course, Rachel Carson is a key pioneer in this field, and many other women before her. Um, but the field was dominated by male scientists and a lot of men in the in the field. And now that's not at all the case. Um, and I think, you know, we talk about diversity in nature, making a system more resilient and more powerful. And I think we need to think about the people involved in conservation of nature in the same way. The more diversity we have, the better and more creative solutions we're going to get and the more power we're going to have to actually protect the things that are crucial for all of our survival. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've actually spoken about this um, as it relates to amphibians and reptiles as kind of the marginalized creatures in the wildlife world and um, how the we know as biologists that the diversity of an ecosystem is much stronger, uh, or sorry, the health of an ecosystem is much stronger when there is a diversity of structures of um, sources of food, of, you know, of predator-prey interactions, you know, all of those things create uh, a highly functioning ecosystem. And in the same way with people, that diversity of thought, of experience, of perspective, um, of, of lived experience, of, of background, of, of knowledges, um, cultural knowledges, those are what enrich our um, professional ecosystem. And that's something that also relates to the work that we're doing at NPCA in, from an ecosystem perspective. And I, I could talk more about that. And that actually has relates a lot to our partnership with, with NatureServe. But, um, uh, but yeah, I think there's so many parallels when you look at the natural world and, and what um, these movements and trying to increase, you know, not just inclusion, but equity, you know, so thinking about um, the ways in which Again, you know, thinking about amphibians and reptiles, that um, it's not as much that we have to give the same level of funding or the same level of 
um, habitat protection that we do for large ungulates, but we can give them what they need to thrive. And even though that might be different than what it is for a large ungulate, you know, we can we can think about that in an inclusive manner and 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 be able to have a, a broader, you know, healthier ecosystem as right. a whole. I, I, I'm very intrigued by this idea of uh, frogs and toads and amphibians and snakes and reptiles being these marginalized creatures in the in the natural world and how there's a parallel with the sort of fear and misunderstanding mm-hmm. of with them and with people because many people are just terrified of mm-hmm. snakes and they don't want to touch a frog or a toad because they're going to get warts or something like that mm-hmm. and uh, how people also don't understand people who mm-hmm. uh, may be different from them and so that's a really interesting thing i want to noodle around in my head a little bit um but i want to i want to come over to the national parks and conservation association in a second but first um We've said herpetologists a couple of times, you've talked about reptiles and amphibians and things, but let's just have a little quick, what is a herpetologist? Why is it called that instead of a lizardologist or something like that? <laughs> and uh, tell us tell us, you know, about your love of the herps. Yeah, thank you. Um, like I said, you know, I, I didn't come into herpetology being that, you know, kid that was always, you know, picking up piles of snakes and frogs. Um, but um, I did just have that general appreciation. And and yeah, I mean, herpetology, um, I think in, in part, and I think this is just my story in general, is I tend to root for the underdog. And uh, and I think there was some aspect of, of that misunderstanding, you know, of amphibians and reptiles that as I learned about them, I became more fascinated and I wanted to do more. And there was so much opportunity to do more, to um, to move the needle, you know, to help, um, create policies that were, that would improve, um, uh, the way we manage amphibians and reptiles. And so, so the study of herpetology is this, is the study of amphibians and reptiles. Um, and that, you know, prefix herpes or herp is related to like, um, slithering or, or, you know, um, a slow movement. And I'm probably getting that not exactly correct, but it's, it's, it's related to that sort of, you know, um, movement of especially like snakes, um, you know, it is definitely kind of a weird um, conglomeration of things because snakes are very uh, not that closely related to frogs and um, and toads and turtles, you know, are a whole different group altogether. Um, but uh, but yeah, but that's the study of, of herpetology. And, and like I said, I, I kind of focused on amphibians, but in the work that I started to do uh, when I did field work um, out of my graduate degree, um, I, you know, you encounter a lot of the same critters in those same places, you know, around ponds, you'll get the snakes that are preying on the frogs or the toads um, and the turtles, you know, as well, that are also maybe eating the frog eggs or um, or things like that, or, or just basking, you know, and using the same pond uh, habitat. Um, and so, you know, we were, we were kind of identifying and, and, um, inventorying all of those as well and in, in the work that I was doing at the time. And so I became, you know, familiar with that. And then I, I started doing more work that was, um, related to sort of policy work on amphibians and reptiles. And, and then I got to travel the country and see a lot more, um, in different parts of the country and learn about the diversity that we have here in the United States. And, um, so that's been, um, was a really, a really fun part of my career. And that sort of led you full circle from becoming uh, interested in nature, in part because your father was taking you to national parks 
to working at the NPCA. And so what, yes. what does the NPCA do and why, why, why are you all so important? Because we know you're important, but yeah. why you know that. Yeah, thank you. I, I do too. Um, I'm I'm really grateful to to be here at the National Parks Conservation Conservation Association. Um, I've just been in this position a little over a year, but um, one of the things that really drew me to NPCA um, was that mission. You know, our primary mission is is essentially to protect parks, um, and because of that background that I had and the exposure that I had um, with my father and and other um, just adventures that I had after that. Um, but, uh, you know, what we try to do in particular with NPCA, I mean, there's a couple of things that are important that differentiate us from other parks related organizations. And that is one that we don't receive any federal funding. Um, we are um, entirely funded, you know, from other sources. And we are, you know, considered a nonpartisan organization. Um, you know, we work on all sorts of issues and parks in general are a nonpartisan, um, you know, uh, issue. Um, we have a lot of uh, support, you know, on both sides of the aisle for um, for funding for parks um, in different ways, you know, um, whether it is restoration of habitat or um, uh, funding, you know, uh, the maintenance backlog, you know, all the buildings that have been around for um, now, uh, you know, around 100 years and and need, you know, need some repairs and, and things like that, um, not to mention when there are um, uh, various um, natural disasters and the repairs that need to, you know, need to happen to uh, the roads or the buildings or, or those kinds of things um, after the fact. But we are an advocacy organization, you know, we advocate for those various, you know, ways to benefit the parks. Um, we also are involved in various aspects of community engagement as well to, you know, increase access to the parks. And that's that's where our work in, in equity, inclusion and, and social justice um, comes in as well. So the there's a couple of things in there. The um, the idea that a our national parks need protecting seems kind of crazy, right? There are national right. parks, and the government has created these things. And then not only do they need some protecting, but the government, using our taxpayer dollars, is not putting enough money into the parks to actually maintain them. And so right. your organization is using private money to support this public resource that's out there to ensure that this is available now and in the future. And so exactly. I just think it's important for people to understand that, you know, just because yep. something gets designated a national park, that doesn't mean that it's fixed and that the problem of preserving that area is solved. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing, you know, um, especially in recent years that we see is, is that, you know, the taxpayer dollars are super important, um, but they only go so far because, you know, as as we know, as ecologists that, you know, you leave a piece of land alone, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to kind of um, remain healthy, you know, um, from for millennia, you know, people have done things like prescribed burns or, you know, restoration of um, shorelines or banks or, you know, other kinds of things to to ensure that the systems remain healthy. And um, and that's the kind of thing that needs to be done in order for these places to remain um, viable. And, you know, some of the parks were designated to protect um, certain uh, wildlife species or certain, you know, viewscapes. Um, and then, you know, now we also have a lot of great uh, park units that are more on the cultural side of things and, and are telling stories um, that are super important that we, we can't forget. Um, and 
all of those places, you know, are um, important to our history and culture and in the United States. And, um, and yeah, they, they unfortunately are not um, without cost. And so um, whatever we can do to both improve policies that allow for money to be put into um, restoring these different things, or if we can create partnerships um, that provide uh, opportunities to identify ways that we can better um, better improve the parks or better improve the um, the landscapes around the parks. Um, you know that is uh, the kind of thing that that MPCA does, and and right. um, and and yeah, and to ensure that especially the communities around the parks, um, you know, are able to enjoy them as well and and uh, and feel connected to them. Yeah. So we talk about um, our national parks being, you know, the, this great idea that that we had as a as a society. Um, I was camping in the Kaneka National Forest down in Alabama uh, two summers ago, and the person in the campsite next to me was a veteran. And we started talking about what I do and his experience. And he said, you know, when I was when I was in the army, um, the thing that I was fighting for and he saw active service in the in the Gulf, he said the thing I was fighting for was our national parks. I, I believe that that's this great legacy and this great thing that we have in this country and we need to protect it. And I was, that's what I was thinking about when I was in combat. And I thought that was really interesting. Wow. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that story. I'll have to, <laughs> I'll have to connect <laughs> and get his name. We, we actually just started a veterans um, group um, to be able to kind of um, help us think through, you know, issues of uh, access of, um, of, of history to preserve uh, related to, to to veterans. You know, obviously we have a lot of battlefields and um, memorials on, you know, on the National Mall that, that commemorate um, the, you know, the important work of our veterans. And, and so, um, yeah, that's that's fascinating, though, to hear that that was, you know, that was what was on his mind. I love that. Yeah, it was really interesting. So the um, boy, I want to talk about access uh, to the parks, but I also want to make sure we talk a little bit about the fact that you all at NPCA work with NatureServe to help yes. figure out the kinds of what some of the priorities that you're going to work on are. And I wanted to give you a chance to talk about how you also use science in your work. So you're an advocacy organization, but it's not just policy. You're you're engaging with scientists and science to make sure that you're advocating for the right thing. So I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the work you do with NatureServe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the the partnership that we have with NatureServe um, has been really great. Um, through uh, some of our own um, processes, you know, we we started to recognize that you know the park units um, they can't really just exist as islands, you know, in um, in our nation. Um, they are surrounded by all sorts of different forces that affect them you know, there's, there's a lot of different aspects of, 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 um, considerations that are outside of the park boundaries that impact, um, the parks themselves and, and the resources that, you know, we're trying to protect within the parks. And so, um, NatureServe has been, uh, excellent as a partner in helping us do like a more in-depth analysis of, of, especially right now we're working on, um, biodiversity and climate resilience and, you know, for biodiversity, um, as as you well know, you know, NatureServe is really one of the leading, um, you know, places where you can get uh, just all of that biodiversity information that's collated together and, and can provide us, you know, we can 
drill down and look at sp particular species and and particular um, you know particular areas of the country. And so with these, we identified some um, 18 priority landscapes or sort of study areas that are beyond the park boundaries. So we have our park in each of these priority landscapes, there are multiple park units. Um, but what we're looking at is, you know, when we think about these areas of the country, you know, what is it that we should be caring about and what is it that influences the parks? Um, you know, and and uh, my my colleague who's on my team, Dr. Ryan Valdez, um, put it beautifully. He said it's it's like knowing your neighborhood and and knowing, you know, who's around you, um, who your community is, you know, what the community is and knowing what their needs are um, and what your parks needs are, you know, will be able to help you better understand those interactions and and that uh, uh ensuring that your neighborhood is, is, and your community is healthier and happier. Um, and so we're really thinking about, you know, all of those things with nature serve and doing some deeper dives. We've done a couple of different areas of the country and, and we've got a few more coming up and, and it's just been a fantastic partnership. Yeah, that's great. And one of the things that, um, I think is so interesting is your house is in a neighborhood and your park is in a neighborhood and yeah, it's not just your house and your lawn that needs to be okay. You need to have the community around you. And the same is true with parks because plants and animals don't necessarily respect those boundaries and they cross exactly. and they do the whole thing. And that's one of the analyses that we're working on with you all and that we do with um, several other organizations is mm -hmm. where are the species compared to where the land is and therefore who has the responsibility for managing those species because they have the habitat that supports those species. And I find that really fascinating and a really interesting and effective way to maximize money and the efficiency yes. of spending money on conservation. Climate resilience is another thing that we're working on with, with NatureServe um, and thinking about, you know, what is happening right now? Where are the good high quality habitats right now? What are they gonna look like in the future or where are the places that probably have the most opportunity for investment to you know protect and restore um or for partnerships outside of the park boundaries to ensure that they remain healthy and with some of the um work with organizations that i was involved in pri previously you know I, I think of anal the analogy of migratory birds you know that um migrate you know well outside of the united states and as in terms of wildlife management here in the united states you know we're only responsible for you know those birds in our states and or in the united states as a whole um, but there's a recognition that what happens to them when they are outside of those boundaries um, is super important for their health once they come back, you know, once they migrate back to to our country. And so in the same vein, you know, what's important outside of the park boundaries, um, what happens outside of the park boundaries is really important to what is inside the park boundaries. And that's another way that MPCA can really function in that, you know, the park service, they really can't justify as much um, doing work and and um, and partnering in the same way that we can outside of the park, the jurisdictional boundaries, you know, of those park units. Um, yeah. And so we can bring additional resources, we can help um, support those partnerships. And then we also, of course, are working with the Park Service to, you know, provide that information and that data and to to strengthen what can be done within the parks. Right. That's great. And you're a, you're a friendly, obviously, with the uh, with the yes. Park Service. And yes. uh, we're so glad that you're doing this work. Um, and so the unfair question now is, 
what's your favorite national park? Oh man, <laughs> that is, that is such a difficult question. I think I would have to say, I really fell in love with Shenandoah national park. I lived in the DC area for many years and that was my go-to escape place. Um, and there's just so many different cool, you know, habitats and critters that you can see there. Um, and it's close to tons of people in terms of access and yes. Yeah, there is definitely a lot of, you know, congestion on the parkway and, and things like that. But um, but it is great to get away from the, you know, the larger sort of urban landscape. And um, yeah, and I did a lot of like some of the field work I did was was there in, in Shenandoah National Park. And so um, got to really see, you know, some of the little nooks and crannies of, of the park that most people don't get to see. And so I think uh, that has a special place in my heart. Excellent. Well, as a Virginian and a person who lives near Shenandoah, I'm happy to hear that answer. It's great. Um, so you're into your career, but you're not that far into your career. You still have some time in front of you. Um, I hope so. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I wonder what you know. What are you working towards? Like, what do you want your legacy to be? I I love that question. You know, um, I I feel really fortunate in that I can think of some specific, you know, issues that I worked on, you know, always with a lot of partners and with a lot of collaborators, but, um, you know, where we were able to move the needle on some of the wildlife conservation issues and some of the invasive species issues that I um, worked on previously. Um, I am hopeful that we can um, advance some additional, you know, climate policies, um, climate resilience actions within the parks, and I would love to be able to look back, you know, in, in 20 years or so and, and be able to say that that um, that my team and I had a role in ensuring that the, the parks are, you know, resilient um, in another 100 years into the future. And and that we have, uh, you know, that we have some great policies to to address um, the changing climate um, and to ensure that these these places remain, you know, um, thriving, um, great places for people to go. Um, the other thing that I've really been involved in and working with folks on is the, the narratives in these parks, you know, the interpretation of these parks, um, or, or just thinking about this, you know, with, with other folks on my team and broadly in the organization. And, and I would love to see in 20, 30 years that the interpretation, the stories we tell about those lands are broader and fuller and richer and you know that we've we've told some additional stories that haven't yet been told so both of those things would be so great for for all the people and all the all the wildlife and for the future of the planet so i hope that you are successful in those things thank uh, you I hope so too. thank you for your body of work and for what you're trying to achieve in the next section of your career here and i uh, want to thank you for being on the show today yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was wonderful to meet you and to chat with you. And, and thank you for the time. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And people can find you at npca.org if they're interested in learning more. Um, yes. And um, we look forward to continuing to work with, with you and your organization in the future. And uh, yes. I thank everybody for uh, listening to this month's Conservation Conversations with I'm Sean O'Brien, the President and CEO of NatureServe. And I'm here with Priya Nanjapa who is the Vice President of Conservation Programs at the National Parks Conservation Association. 
So thanks again for listening and uh, we'll see you next month. Mm-hmm.